Welcome to the Nehemiah Community Transformation Podcast. I'm Eli Steenledge, Nehemiah's Director of Communications. And on this episode, we will hear from two staff members who are transforming the local Madison school system from the inside out. To give some context of educational conditions in Madison and Dane County, African-American children face some of the greatest educational disparities in the nation. This is not a new development, but was one of the first areas that Nehemiah identified nearly 30 years ago as a growing need as the African-American population was increasing in Madison. Nehemiah has been working from the beginning to fill the gap for African-American children by offering a culturally holistic approach to developing kids and youth academically, emotionally, and spiritually. Today's guests, Ozan Anderson and Lindsay Johnson, have had to get creative and adapt to the demands of the pandemic, including establishing a healthy learning pod environment for a diverse group of kids. Now, for the last school year, they have been involved in the schools themselves to support children of color in innovative ways. As you will hear, they are both passionate about the whole educational community. We will start by hearing what Lindsay Johnson, Nehemiah's community liaison, has been up to. Um, so my position kind of in the school um, is unique because I have been a parent at that school um, for the last one. My kids just graduated five, six years. Um, and for a while, the last two, three years, I've been trying to get like a Parents of Black Excellence group going. Um, but it's been really hard because parents are just so busy and it's hard to be, you know, committed to things and you're unsure of what, what it looks like, um, especially just navigating MMSD. So within the last year, you know, I've always had good relationships with the principal and she just reached out to me like, you know, we have some funds to kind of have a family liaison. I know that um, certain schools only have a liaison, but we feel like we could benefit from having one. So she brought me on, which was awesome. And in that time, I was able to just really build relationship, you know, and that was the hope of it, is really build relationship and community within, within the school and teachers and staff, um, because that's something that has lacked, especially for the Black community. And so with that role, it looked a little bit different because not just being a parent and being from the outside, now I'm inside of the school um, and I have relationships with staff, but I also am building those same relationships with students and their families, um, which has worked out well. I can't say MMSD school, every school needs a liaison. Um, I know, like I said, only about a quarter of the schools in the district have one, but, you know, really building that community, um, especially after COVID is, is something that is really needed for a day-to-day basis. Um, I, I went from, you know, phone calls never stopped. There's always a need, especially with COVID happening and so many families being um, kind of at the mercy of, um, not knowing what's happening next. So I've spent a lot of um, time just, you know, helping kids get to school. I spent a lot of times communicating what events are coming up so parents don't feel like they'll miss it if they're at work. Um, Making sure, you know, teachers understand how to have healthy relationships with students and kids. Um, A lot of advocating for kids, you know, some of our kindergarten and and pre-K kids have never even experienced socialization from a a 4k you know from a school standard um and you know I feel like our district is so quick to slap IEPs and you know SSITs on our kids and you know just coming off of COVID there's some understanding and some grace that needs to be had for our kids 
as far as that, that no, they don't need an IEP. They just need to get acclimated to a school environment, acclimated to an environment that's not like home. Um, so a lot of that was connections and, and having those healthy relationships between the two. Lindsay, would you say some of uh, the hard part of getting acclimated for some of the kids is because uh, they didn't get right into things because of the pandemic or in general, just kids coming into school for the first time in I that system? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you have kids that were in a social setting too. Maybe some kids were going to daycare, but now this social setting at a school looks completely different. You can't sit on the carpet. You can't play with the toys that you would normally play with. You can't eat lunch around your friends. You got to put your mask back on. And for kindergartners, even up to like third grade, those are really difficult concepts to really understand and not have a full picture like an adult would about the virus and what's going on and why, why does my teacher keep telling me to pull my mask above my nose? Like, you know, so it's a little bit of both, just navigating those waters that were unfamiliar and familiar, but they're just unsure of what the bigger picture is. And as you said, as a liaison, would you say that is just between sort of the the community of parents in general, or specifically for, let's say, kids of color to have that representation in the school? Well, my focus was on kids of color, right? Because that's where, um, if you look at their scores and their standards, our kids are are behind, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Even if you looked at some of our family events, um, a, lot, a lot of parents, African-American parents, weren't making it to those things for numerous of reasons. Um, so my focus was to make sure that those parents are really engaged and really understand and do have a, a solid person in the school outside of the principal or, you know, the student's teacher that they can call on, you know, um, text or, you know, even, you know, ask if we can do coffee together or um, ask for a gas card. Someone that just isn't considered like a staff person. But, but all kids, you know, um, because there's kids that struggle too, that, you know, some parents are you're new here or, or some parents um, are dealing with other kids. We have kids that are from foster systems. We have kids that are, you know, being adopted. There's so many dynamics that go into a school. Um, but this school in particular, um, it's, it was a huge focus on our black and brown students. Now let's hear from Ozan Anderson, Nehemiah Director of K-12 Leadership Development. There was a similar situation where I was at West High School where there was funds and uh, I was asked to come in and to help out um, as a classroom assistant in uh, different study halls and also, you know, different classes, like if teachers um, were absent, you know, just just to help out in that way. But it also was an opportunity for me to um, to meet with and have uh, connections with our light students that are still attending West High School. So um, my experience was very much an anthropology, like an anthropology uh, experience, uh, getting to know the culture of how the school is running on the inside. You know, I too, like Lindsay, all three of my students or my, my kids have matriculated through West High School and being able to look at it. For, so I'm looking my I'm experiencing um, being inside the school as a parent. I'm experiencing it as an educator, as a community um, educator and organizer, but also um, just as a person who 
just would like to know how all the systems work inside the school. And um, so uh, I had many different roles this year, uh, you know, in my light program role, you know, there's a mentorship role with the students. But I also was able to see, you know, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about who's not doing what or um, how the schools are failing us, so on and so forth. So I also had insight of what teachers, you know, are going through, what counselors are going through, and um, how those, how the system that's set up impacts all those roles, you know, and um, how, you know, a lot of times we like, I feel as a culture, we like to, there There needs to be a scapegoat. Someone has to be the blame for why things are the way they are. And um, looking from the inside out, um, I, I can definitely see that there's no one person, place or thing, you know, that can be blamed for, you know, some of our downfalls um, or some of the ways we need to grow in our education system. So my role was simple. Uh, however, um, in that simplicity, it afforded me a lot of insight on uh, many areas in our education, in our educational system. Well, I think that's a great place to go next. As as far as you are comfortable sharing about your experiences in the school, what do you see are some of the sort of needs going on? What do you see maybe not working well, maybe in our particular school system? What are some of those insights you've got to experience from being on the inside for both of you? Well, I like to share uh, just piggybacking on um, some things that Lindsay uh, was able to share. Lindsay was working elementary, correct? Elementary school setting. I was working a high school setting. And so um, there are so many, I, I have in the past, you know, worked in the schools and on the elementary level as well. But something that Lindsay said about advocacy, about being able to communicate with parents, um, about um, just meeting those needs, answering questions. You know, there is a humongous gap just communication-wise with students of color and the systems that be. So Lindsay is absolutely correct. Everyone, I think every school would benefit from her position of parent liaison. Um, there are positions within the school, and these are some of the things that I've learned, there are some positions that positions that that's a, what Lindsay does. Their position, a part of it, is what you know she does. But it, it almost is like, uh, you know, these positions you pack so much in one position, and no person can humanly, you know, get it accomplished the way that it is, it is designed or written on paper to do. So, say for instance. Um, the, the, there's a cultural divide in what's expected of our students and what the student actually, what students are equipped to come and, and be successful with. So say for instance, a, a huge thing is, 
some of the cultural nu nuances in behavior and the expectation in behavior. Our school is built on Eurocentric standards and, and what Eurocentrically acceptable. So there are, there were several situations where I saw our students behaving culturally non-acceptable within the school framework, but it's acceptable within school how they were behaving. So it's accepted, it's let, you know, it's let slide, like things that they would never be able to get away with at home or in their own social circumstances. In the school, they were able to get away with or they were able to do these things and parents would not be called parents would not be communicated with, you know, it, it's almost like some of these behaviors were expected and let slide and not corrected. Um, which I know that if a lot of the parents knew these things were going on, there would be an absolute problem. So uh, one of the things that I did peep while I was there is there is no expectation to have working communications with families of color, right? They're, um, at least in my experience. Um, in fact, when staff of color would say, okay, well, this is not okay. Uh, we need to connect with the parents, so on and so forth, that was looked at uh, and discouraged by the powers that be within the system. So, um, from an anthropologetic point of view, uh, it was that's just a natural cultural cultural divide right there. So, say for instance, myself as a parent, if my son was involved in certain behaviors, certain things going on in the school. Definitely upset, you know, not acceptable at home. However, it's accepted in these schools, and I don't get a phone call. I don't get notified. I'm not, but then when it's time to report, like get report cards and things like that, his grades, his, uh, you know, the reports are, you know, unsavory. And, and I have not, between this time and this time, have not had communication, just robocalls or, or what have you. I'm left out of the loop of my child's education. And also culturally unacceptable is the only way you want to communicate with me is through a robocall or it's through some way that I might not, I might be at work. I might work at night. I might, I might be a single mom. I might not hear that call. I might not see that email. So the only reaching out is, you know, distant forms of reaching out to families. There's not that personal touch. Culturally, grandiose divide, you know. And so on that front, it has informed the work that I do. Is that These are not things that I did not know because, like I said, my sons have matriculated through the school. But it's worse in high school because another, another cultural difference is school expects high school kids to be young adults. Adults, right? 
especially when, I mean, high school level, they expect that, okay, uh, if a child is supposed to fill out a form, that they're supposed to do it. We don't have to go to the parents. We don't have to notify the parents. In Black families, teenagers are not adults. Teenagers are still kids. Teenagers still have to ask permission to go to the left or go to the right. You know, so another cultural divide. You know, you feel like, okay, if my son has to be here or there, and this happens with sports, everything, the only people that they feel like they need to communicate with is the child, you know, and it's like, you know, there are so many things, Micah, even this year, he's a junior, was involved in that we didn't know about literally until the last minute. We didn't know about it because guess what? During the day, we're working and we're actually working at the school, doing the school's work, doing our own work and things like that. Then we get home, you're exhausted and you don't necessarily you know, it's not that you're not paying attention or you don't want to pay attention, but you you don't necessarily have the time during the day to look and see every email, to look and see, you know, everything that's going on. And by the time you do, it's, you know, it's last minute things. If I wasn't at the school, if we weren't the type of parents that we, I couldn't imagine working other jobs that, you know, demand so much of your time and then trying to stay up on every single thing that's happening at the school. And the only approach to, um, the only approach to that communication is digital, you know, and, and then, and we're not even talking about the disenfranchised families who don't even have the technology to keep up that way. So I I just uh on that on that piece in terms of the liaison in yeah. terms of just um that is definitely for African American students just speaking on that group alone mm -hmm. uh it's definitely a needed piece in all schools uh at all at all age levels. And can I clarify something you were saying? So you're saying that in general, what you've sort of witnessed is uh, if, there, if there's some sort of issue with maybe some kids or something that the staff, teachers, instructors are less likely to reach out to parents of color than say white parents. So if there was a similar issue with a white um, kid, would they be more likely to contact the parents than than black kids or are you saying just in general they don't have great communication with parents i'm saying just in general okay because i have the feeling that maybe other groups don't require the same you know like say for instance um and, and again, it, it depends on what what it is. You know, it depends on what what the situation is. I was mainly speaking about behavior issues. Um, mm -hmm. I I would say at the high school level that it is discouraged 
the, the the school wants to handle everything in school. It is discouraged that you mm-hmm. communicate with parents, especially behaviors that lead to suspension, you know, that you communicate with parents about these behaviors. Um, they would rather squash it in the school and no one yeah. see it right. than for parents to get wind of it. Now, how it affects different groups differently mm-hmm. is the response you may get or the approach you may have to take for different groups. So I feel like there is an overall uncomfortable nature to contacting parents of color, black parents, because the confrontational piece, you know, because there's so many layers of that, you know, what caused the behaviors, you know, how did you handle the child? Like all these questions will have to be answered when you make that contact, you know, how many times were they late to class before they actually left? How many times had they been skipping before you actually called me? You know, those kind of things. So with, with uh white families uh there's because in my um in my own account i feel like these systems are built for the comfort of white people so with white families you don't necessarily have all those layers that you have to peel back in order to have those conversations, you know, uh, with black families, you, you've not reached out to black families. You don't have these conversations. And another piece of this is white families live in the neighborhoods. You know, this family from, I don't know, the bake sale that you guys did. Maybe your husbands go fishing together. Maybe, you know, there's so much you can see it like when when there's family um family events and people come together you will see the black families just kind of all sitting sporadically but the families the white families and the teachers they know each other oh yeah i saw you at such and such i you know so there's already relationships there's already like this camaraderie that exists between those families right and it's almost like well it feels like to me black families come to the show that was made or come to the event that was made for those people and we're kind of coming in witnessing oh the that the uh the plan for everybody else here but we're not really included but we got to be there because our kid goes there but this whole thing is really for these guys, you know, kind of thing. That's how it feels, you know. So I would I would say, to answer your question more clearly, that there on the high school level, there is discouragement from communication, communicating with parents in general about problematic behaviors. But it's ex- like everything else, like health disparities, everything is exponentially worse for families of colors. I can agree with that. And that's the same thing on the elementary level. When you talk about behaviors, you know, people avoid those conversations, like Ozan said, and it's not until they can't handle it anymore that they, you know, will reach out to parents. But 
um, even within my role, I've been able to have those healthy communications with moms and dads and be like, you know, I'll just tell kids too, like, oh, I need to call your mom to see how she doing. Cause she told me she was getting ready to go move this, or she had this going on. Um, and they, kids know that there's a relationship built and they know that it's somebody that has connection with mm -hmm. that being said, they, their behaviors are different, right? They move mm -hmm. different. They have just a different level of accountability for them. There's mm -hmm. someone watching them for, you know, for their parents to make sure that they are succeeding in school. Mm -hmm. um, so with that being said, for me to build those healthy relationships that teachers aren't doing, and granted teachers have 22, 25 students. So yes, it is easy to shoot out an email or something like that, or like uh, Zan said, the robo calls, but that's not a healthy relationship. And at what point do we stop and say, yes, academics is a priority, but also healthy relationships are a priority. It's a, a priority for our kids to see that and know that. And it's also healthy for families to feel that, especially mm -hmm. coming from a place where you send your kid for six, seven hours and you expect for the best things to be happening there when when really doors get closed and we don't know what's going on there. So why not have those conversations, those healthy relationships so parents do feel comfortable in those senses? Um, yeah, there's only one of me at the school, but to be real, there could be five, six, seven liaisons. Um, there should be one for every grade. Um, granted, there's not, there's 10% African-Americans in the school I'm at, but that's a lot of families still. That's a lot of different families. Some parents are, you know, kids are being raised by mom and dad. So those are two different dynamics to be had. Um, sometimes grandma's in the picture. That's another dynamic. And you never want to exclude any anybody because that's the issue now, right? Parents mm -hmm. are already feeling excluded from what's going on within their child's lives. Um, so to be able from the to, time that they step in the door, like from 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 registration day, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You you don't really feel like you belong at, at this place. It, it feels like it's built for other people, and so uh, like Lindsay saying, because what I'm hearing Lindsay say as well is the investment. You know, if you're invested, like Lindsay's position is basically I'm invested in building relationships with you. You're you're not invested if, you know, now mind you, West West uh, School has 2,000 plus student body, you know. So I'm not saying that a teacher who matriculates 30 kids through her class every 45 minutes has the bandwidth to um has the bandwidth to be able to do Lindsay's work you know because they don't you know the and the system is not even built for them to be able to do that but um and the system is not built to invest in our kids it's just not you know and so it's bigger, like I said, than any one position or one teacher or whatever. It's it's really to the point where we need to look at our system as a whole and 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 see what we need to do to fix it. You know, um, because yeah, exactly what what Lindsay was saying is just sometimes it's. It's literally, let me, let me say it like this, um, Eli, uh, towards the end of the school year, we had a student who, very smart kid, 
extremely smart kid. Um, but she chose a crowd that she was, you know, hanging around and, you know, behaviors followed after. And one of the things, Lindsay talked about IEPs and things of that nature. Uh, and even the IEPs are questionable because if you see the work that is required of some of these kids in order to, once they acquire an IEP and what's required of them at that point, it's really kind of atrocious, right? Because then that is really saying, um, there, there is no expectation. It's, it's lowering the expectation so far to the bare minimum, and these kids get to graduate. Now, here's the thing: one kid, the kids that that uh, this student is hanging around, they're all graduating because they have IEPs and they have these low standards in order to graduate. She didn't have an IEP. She just chose, you know, a social situation that was not good for her. Come, come to the end she's not graduating, you know, and she's devastated. How is she devastated? How is she not aware that she's not graduating? How do we get to a senior year and not have what we need to graduate? Did mom know that she wasn't graduating? Did the counselor uh, really invest to, you know, in this young woman to to see uh, whether or not they were on track? You know, did she have the kind of um, accountability and tracking that she needed? Did she slip through a crack? Right? It's not that she's not capable of graduating. This is so far off the track of no this young lady is absolutely capable more than capable of graduating how did we get here we have a system that matriculate kids seven eight nine even though they may not have uh they may not have rec uh completed requirements i'm coming i'm from old school if you did not complete the requirements of second grade you repeated second grade you repeat it. You did not socially advance, you know, and then all of a sudden you're shocked. What? I don't have what I need. What? I, I don't have the reading requirements. So we, this is, these are the, the holes in our system that I would even, I would advocate and say that if we had positions that were vested in real relationship building with families, the whole system could turn around. But oh, it's yeah. not about investment. It's about maintaining the status quo. Yeah. This is this is all so good and needs to be said, needs to be heard, I think. So yeah, I think there's a lot packed into what you all are saying. And I think I've experienced that too with my kids and maybe even on the seeing the other end of it, you know, that like you said, the system is so built for essentially, you know, white parents 
to feel comfortable and not for others, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think the work that both of you are doing is trying to to shift that a little bit and and kind of push the schools to say like, what 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 could you do differently to be reaching these this other demographic of students, right? And the families and the communities. Um, so I think that's so needed. And I've also experienced the the schools much more falling on the side of like, yes, we're going to handle this internally and we don't want to deal with, you know, um, how anybody's going to view this the wrong way, what, what it's going to get sort of mixed up in it when we bring parents into it. We just want to avoid all of that. Right. And I think those things sort of are just end up feeding into each other, right? Like the black communities already feels isolated and not welcome in the system. So they're already, you know, leery and nervous about connecting with, you know, the school system and staff. And then the school district not, you know, reaching out to to the community and parents um, is just making it worse, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That they don't know what's going on. So I think that's, that so needs to be said. What, could you give us maybe as more specifics? I know, Zan, you you threw out a few examples that you're talking about. Lindsay, what would you say, any specific experiences where maybe like working with staff or educators where if they've ever said anything like, wow, this is so much easier when you're kind of helping build these relationships or you helped me see that, oh, I could just reach out and talk to this parent and then we can help this kid better, you know, succeed more or any examples sort of of what you've seen it improve by the work that you're doing. Yeah, there, I have quite a few of those um, type of situations, but also situations where I'm challenging educators as well. Like, did you call them? Like my, it, it's good that I have a relationship. Yes, I know I have a relationship with them, but do you have one? Um, how about in this situation, I piggyback off of you, you call first. And if you don't get a response, or if you don't, um, hear back for them, or if you text them and they're just not responding at all, I will jump in. But I also want to, you know, have that part where I hold them accountable for building those healthy relationships. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the social worker at the school, she does a lot. And it's a lot of families and a lot of caseloads to be working with and just to even be walking side by side with her. And a lot of these situations, um, especially around attendance, it's kids that, you know, miss half of the school year. And then you think about virtually they've missed almost a full school year. So a year and a half of of schooling um, to be able to find a sweet spot where you're building that relationship and bringing them back into the building um, to to find that sweet spot where you're helping them. You know, I work on a, I have a unique stance in this because I work for Nehemiah and then I work for the schools. So the, the partnerships are interchangeable. So when people are needing resources, you know, I can switch my hat. And I can provide from a Nehemiah standpoint, I can give them the resources, you know, people are calling all kinds of stuff, you needing grant and assistance. And people are in a state right now where they need a response, because that could dictate how they move forward, or what the next step is for them, or um, if they are going to thrive or not thrive. So, you know, being able to change those interchangeably and be like, okay, I can help you with this resource, but I can also help you with your kids. So with me, it's not just about a relationship with our youth. It's, it's a family dynamic. It's, you know, being able to help in, in a 24, you know, like just even that looking at some of your questions, like what's a typical day? It's 24 hours because there's always a need. There's always somebody, you know, who just even probably wants to talk. Um, so, it, you know, 
being able to help people in, in situations and even the staff, um, it's, it's been rewarding, but it's also been like Ozan said, it's been very eye-opening to see what really ha is happening in positions um, throughout the school and the people that are in position um, to make the decisions on a lot of stuff. I would also say that I've seen many instances where the answer is not necessarily in uh, the curriculum that you've studied, you know, to get your degree um, in certain situations. The answer is in the relationship that you've built with that student. And sometimes there is no real answer and it's, it's okay to be able to say, I don't know, and to ask for help and, you know, things like that. But the, when there is no, and I, I can't say this enough, when there is no investment in building relationships with the student first, okay? Um, and I think, here's the thing. We have generations that have been disenfranchised, okay? So when we're looking at the needs of African-American students, we can't just look at, and, and the whys, why are things the way they are? You, some of these things that we're talking about um, in terms of how people are feeling about the school or, or feeling like school is not for them. These are generations mm -hmm. of how these systems have impacted families. So when we when we uh endeavor to make changes right in these systems like okay say for instance it um in a situation where i'm i'm coming to you know uh, assist in a behavior issue uh and i show up on the scene and maybe someone who um someone who has been working in the school, you know, and within the systems for a year and all they, they're coming with all of their knowledge from school or whatever, you know, sometimes, sometimes your book knowledge is not needed. Sometimes just you are needed. You know what I mean? Sometimes, um, that student just needs a hug. Sometimes that student just needs to be heard. And you can't show up on the scene with your book. You have to show up on the scene with your humanity, you know, mm -hmm. to be able to see what is needed at that time. And so a lot of times when there are cultural differences, I notice that now, now mind you, when it's the same culture engaging, we're able to show up as that human. But when it is a culture outside of your own, you fall back on your book. You fall back on your, you know, what you've learned from, you know, your social sciences or best practices or whatever, you know, um, it is my belief, regardless to what system you're working in, 
Yeah, I mean, when, even when you're policing, right? Sometimes you need to show up as your human, as a human in your police outfit and not necessarily as your training. Oh, this looks like this, you know, so I'm going to fall back on this training. Sometimes you need to be the human on the scene, you know, but the problem is our systems are not requiring us to be human. They're requiring us to protect the system, you know, and when you operate outside of that system, you, you know, sometimes there's payment for opera. Like, like I know uh, some black workers within the school district who know that the administrators did not want them to call the family about a certain situation and they called anyway. They called because they are a parent and they and they knew the parent from the community and they said, I'm going to make this phone call. They had to make that call, even though there may have been repercussions, you know, later on down the line from their supervisor or whatever. It's it shouldn't be that way, you know, um, in education It's like. It's, 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 it's built where we require the academics first before we require the person to be whole, you know? And I feel as though if we can't ensure that the person is whole, the academics will surely follow, you know, excellence will surely follow when you have whole people, you know, engaging in whatever is required. And I don't think it's enough energy going into making pe making sure students are um, holistically well in, in, in our education system. Um, it's more about um, are we making sure that our investors are happy? Are we, you know, are our test scores, you know, showing that we're doing what we do? You know, we get so much money per student, so we cannot, you know, um, endanger uh, that funding from coming to our schools, you know. Um, and, and then uh, built within that whole cake is, you know, teachers being squelched into operating a certain way or else, you know, or else they're penalized, you know, for not producing certain things. So, um, well, then I like that you said holistically well, um, yeah. because, you know, our students are, you know, like you said, are thrown into these environments and they're just kind of have to manipulate and maneuver between like, like you said, the European culture and who they are as a person. So tr trying to remain authentic in a system mm -hmm. that's not really built for them. Mm -hmm. um, so I always think about like when I have interaction with students too, I always say, I respect you, so respect me. That's a big thing, right? Because mm -hmm. all of our students reserve, deserve respect. Um, mm -hmm. Eye contact, you know, teaching them that these are things that they're worthy of, that they deserve in life from people and mm -hmm. people deserve to give it back to them is huge for me. 
Um, like I said, making sure when we talk and I know whoever made you mad, but look at me, I don't talk to you like that. So don't talk to me like that. We mm -hmm. can laugh and joke all day, but that's not respect. Look at me when I'm talking, because when we talk to each other, we engage that way. I know that you're talking to me and I'm talking to you and vice versa. Um, mm -hmm. So like you said, that holistic part is huge. Just knowing that they are human. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, they're in a system where they deserve to be treated just as equal as everybody else. It's huge. Mm -hmm. And number one, number one for real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. And I would just say, just to put some of that in perspective, and why uh, it's great that you two are doing this is because I think that's what, that's sort of the ethos of Nehemiah in general, right? Like, that out of those sort of relationships, greater change can happen, right? Than just sort of a, a superficial here, you know, you can, I'll give you food or whatever these sort of physical things. But if you're not in the relationship with, uh, with people, then they're not truly going to be transformed or have those opportunities. And so I think in, in some ways we could say Nehemiah has filled in that gap. Ozan, we've talked a lot about this with ACE and things like that. And, mm -hmm. and it is, it is a, you know, a more um, intimate environment, smaller that we can kind of give that personal focus that, you know, this, the school system doesn't always allow for certainly, but I, along with that, I don't think we can just say, well, that's, that can't happen in our schools, right? That what you, what you all are talking about, that sort of connection. One of the things that I was able to speak to in my own little way, but I'm very sympathetic to is not only is the system not built to be invested in our students, but our teachers are not being treated well either, you know, and I have such an affinity for the profession of teaching. It is an art, you know, uh, if someone teaches it's because they you know, for the most part, in the best case scenario, if people go and they want to be teachers, it is because they have a pr profound passion for giving and healing and nurturing and, and, and also for being a lifetime learner. I spent a year watching our teachers not be celebrated not be nurtured, not be given what they need to thrive. You know, it is just unbelievable. It's not just our students that are suffering within these systems. It is also our teachers. It's like the everyday grind what teachers have to deal with. And I know all teachers aren't, you know, every, there's some bad apples in there, you know, that didn't necessarily go into the profession for all the right reasons. But for the most part, I do believe with my heart, it's good people um, that went into this profession because they love kids and they love teaching. And there, there is a creative side of them that would love to be able to spread their wings and just float, you know, and, and teach and have this harmony. And uh, all year, I just, I did not see the effort to, to care for them either. 
Um, and so one of the things I was able to do uh, in little ways is to show teachers that I see them you know, that I appreciate them. Um, I, I was able to, <laughs> without asking permission, uh, create spaces where, um, you know, folks felt welcome, you know, um, and especially we created spaces, black spaces for um, black educators and, and workers within the system, you know, to have some fun and to be able to um, express themselves, uh, you know, like only we can. And so, and, and, and to hear them express, man, we needed this, you know. Um, so that's, that's another thing. I, I, you asked me, you didn't ask that yet, but going forward into the next year, I want to continue to do more of that, like creating spaces where teachers are nurtured and cared for, because I feel like that is so important. I feel like if you're able to do that, that will just flow on to our students as well. That's great. And actually that, that fits perfect what I was going to ask, because I think Obviously, what you both are doing, and especially this concept of like a, a family or parent liaison um, is great. That's happening in some of the schools, like what Lindsay is doing. But I think a lot of people might say uh, that are maybe hearing this or, or in the community, our, our teachers are already overextended, right? Like mm -hmm. um, I know in our school, you know, they can hardly find a substitute, you know, if a teacher needs a day off and there's not enough uh, um, teaching assistance in the, in the school, you know, to help. And they are so overwhelmed mm -hmm. um, and tired coming out of the pandemic and short staffed. So, and they have families. Yeah. They and they have to deal with as yep. a parent, the system, yeah. you know, so yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I always like to kind of like end on something that can be done certainly all this information is is excellent for people to understand but what can we now do because i think one thing we could try to expand on um having more connections with the community and families liaisons but you know even for what what would you say to people who say like well our staff are we already have short staff we need to focus on this or this but what could you see from spending you know this year in the schools as some things that we could do right now to help improve, you know, the system from where it is at this point? Well, I think one thing, like you and I are having this conversation, Eli, but I think more conversations need to be had with the powers that be, you know, from the community, but also where, um, also giving teachers agency to really speak and say what they need. But, I would say like the biggest thing is, is find the resources, make the space for more positions like Lindsay's positions, make it happen. You know, um, I, I don't see any downside from having more positions like Lindsay's position. Like one of the things that, uh, well, I guess I do have more answers for you, Eli. One of the things that I um, I really want to focus light on this year, I'm in the midst of making some proposals uh, for that, is 
being able to communicate with the middle schools uh, with the for the seventh and eighth graders to see to, to help make those transitions into the higher grades. So a, a position like Lindsay's, say for instance, if we had like a ninth grade family liaison, right? And let's, uh, let's say uh, a liaison was working with the counselors in the high school. And we noticed some patterns of, you know, maybe Jason, you know, had some patterns where he was skipping class or, you know, some patterns started to happen. Not weeks down the line, not months down the line, but when those patterns are noticed, that liaison being able to make that phone call, make that connection, talk to the kid, talk to the families, you know, and to be able to work closely with the counselors because the counselors, they, they do have a tremendous load, especially in a school like West. Like I said, there's over 2,000 kids there. But to be able to have that intentional relationship building piece specifically for those grades and to be able to to be able to work uh hand in hand with the folks that you know make the difference in those grades another i i would love a position like lindsay's to be able to to see you know the scholarships, you know, the counselor is communicating with a position like Lindsay saying, okay, there's scholarships available for this. Being able to say to the parents, well, if we stay this course, we can, you know, apply for this or, you know, being able to, to uh, notice that, you know, Jason is not uh, meeting with his counselor, being able to go and meet with the counselor with Jason, make a plan, you know, uh, give understanding of how to navigate those four years, you know, because it's so many kids that don't even understand the navigation of the system of high school. They they don't know. They don't they they don't understand the the cumulative uh, grade point average, you know, and and to be able to in real time, you know, catch those. Um, catch those trends that are bringing our kids down. Um, I would think that would be very helpful, a position like Lindsay's or, you know, even being more creative if it was, you know, different positions. Um, but the school needs help. The system needs help. And I would also say that uh, the powers that be that run the system, stop being afraid of uh, the community resources that are available to to help. I agree with that, um, especially the community resources. We're, of course, we're coming off of COVID where people can't, you know, couldn't not really coming off, but um, visitors couldn't be in the building. You know, I had the, the luxury of creating a space in the school that was for black girls, right? Affirming black girl, girlhood. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did it by each grade. And this was something, you know, that took resources, right? So I was able to apply for grants. But what could it be like for more collaboration? Um, Christina Outlay from Maiden was able to come in on the tail end, which was fabulous. Um, but it gave the girls the exposure to um, technology, right? 
uh, to some of that coding and stuff like that? Like, what would it look like for, like you said, schools to welcome more outside organization, more entities into to nurture our kids in those areas? Um, for me, I've been sitting on this concept for a long time. And then especially being after being in the schools, we have some fast kids, kids that can run, kids that can sing. It's a young lady who can flip her behind off, uh, but she doesn't have access to gymnastics or programs or, you know, scholarships that get you halfway in, but then there's still traveling fees. There's still, you know, payments, you know, um, to and from the location. Um, just for our kids to get the nurturing of those extracurricular activities is something that I really want to hone in and focus on because there's so many people here and there's so many organizations that make so much money off of people paying. But we have some real athletes and some real singers right here in our community, but they just don't get that same access to all these things like their counterpartners do where they've been in soccer since they was kindergarten and, you know, now they're playing in a traveling team or, you know, They've been playing the violin since, or piano since they were two and three. And, you know, we have some talented kids. They just don't get that. Like I said, it's not the same affordability or access. And that's something that I would really love to see people step up and say, I can afford a two-year scholarship. I can provide transportation. I can provide the instrument. I can, um, you know, pay for a Uber here and from to locations so this kid can get what they need outside of school to make them a better person, to, to excel them in life, to make them the next whoever they want to be. Yeah, that's excellent. I think those that's really practical too, Lindsay, what you're saying of those that maybe can support those efforts a little bit more can jump in and help. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's again, those community resources, but we kind of have to know that those options are there, right? Or like the need and and the way to, to do it needs to be put that's together. Right. And I, I want to add to that's on business owners. We, we know a lot of business owners. And if you're running a gym or if you, you know, are a part of a league or you have a membership, what does it look like for you to, to make a way? And I'm not saying that people should get stuff for free and scholarships for free, but what does it look like for a partnership, even with the parent? What if the parent came in and helped clean up? What if the parent provided snacks? What if the parent did something that was tangible as a trade-off for our kids to have access to these things. I would I would like to piggyback on what Lindsay was saying in terms of the resources. There are resources out there that our kids don't even get to know about. You know what I mean? If you're not a parent that's out there digging, there's resources out there. Like like say for instance, uh, my kids went to Randall, and if you know Jonah, if you've seen any of his work. He's always been a phenomenal artist. So has Noah always been phenomenal artist. Um, when we were at that school, cause that's all Jonah did. But when we were at that school, there was something where um, they had uh, a program for gifted and talented students, um, but also where the artwork would be recognized. And I think at that, at some point the art would be, um, uh, showcase at Monona Terrace and things like that. There is no, I'm telling you, you guys know Jonah. There's no way that it was not known that he was a, a phenomenal artist. Never reached out to talk to me about that. Never, you know, never showcased. And, and Micah, same thing. He, uh, in singing and music. It was known, but, you know, when you would go to things, you know, 
the special instruments that get to be played and stuff like that, you never see black and brown faces being able to, you know, take the lead in those things. They weren't offered the opportunities, you know? And so um, I think a part of that too is our kids, why, why don't our kids get offered those opportunities? Why aren't they seen? Is it, is it that because they're not seen or is it because they're the, what's worse is that they are seen, but they, someone felt like they're not deserving of the opportunity, you know? So I doubt it's that they're not seen. Cause like I said, there's no way it, and that this is not me bragging on my son, but my God, from the age of two, this boy has been like ridiculous uh, in terms of gifted in art. And so there's no way his talent was not seen, but there was like everybody that was chosen for those particular opportunities were people that did not look like him. And I just want to say why, you know, to, to the point where it made me have to, to fight and dig, like I have to go do extra in order. And, th and that's what I mean by equity. I have to do extra. I, like, I have to take extra time outside of work to look for things when, when kids, uh, white kids are handed things, you know, regular things. I've had too many stories where, you know, excellent kids of color are going out. I have somebody right here sitting with me who applied for a scholarship and someone in power told them, oh, I don't think you would qualify. I don't think it would. But they, but they tried it anyway and they got the scholarship. Why? Still in 2022, we need Lindsay's position so they saw, so that they could see the scholarship and chase after our kids and be like, hey, here, come apply for this. Because they're not, we, we, we have to be done with waiting for our natural talents to be seen by others because we're not, we, it's obvious that we're not afforded the same, um, attention and the same courtesies as dominant culture. So, okay, fine. Put us in position to, to elevate and seek out those talents and to seek out those resources for our own students then. Yeah, for sure. And I think that is worth reminding us that uh, when everyone has a chance to succeed and flourish that really it makes our whole community richer and we can all appreciate that and learn from each other so i think there there's so many benefits to that that we don't even realize and haven't taken advantage of and and i appreciate that you two as well who you know a lot of this goes unseen you know like even me, less so than probably the teachers of of being seen doing this work and there's so so many good things that we we got to hear about uh that came out of this and and a lot we probably didn't hear about yet and i appreciate giving listeners some active things that they could be a part of of being involved in the community more for everyone so i really appreciate both of you sharing this information and sharing from the heart so much too 
Thank you for listening to the Nehemiah Community Transformation Podcast. Go to nehemiah.org to find out more about Nehemiah and our Justified Anger Initiative, which works to eliminate racial disparities by developing relationships, solutions, and systems.